0: Welcome to Healing Begins. My name is Pastor Gail Crock, and I am glad you're listening. This will be a weekly radio program aired either really late at night or about 1 a.m. in the morning. You might say, why that time? Well, as I was praying one day and praying about this, the Lord kind of put on my heart to have a radio program that's either really late at night or like 1 a.m. in the morning reaching out to people that are up. Maybe you're in your car and you're driving to work or you're coming back from work or maybe you're in your house or you're up at night because of anxiety and stress or depression and you're having a really hard time and maybe you just can't get to sleep and I don't know what you're up doing right now. Maybe you're taking care of kids. Maybe you got little ones that are kind of sick and you're up and about in the middle of the night and you just turn down the radio to see what might be on and Well, I'm on right now, so I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you're out there. And you know, the Lord really wants you to know there is hope during these troubled times. You know, we've just come through and are still in a pandemic, and people are really struggling. People are hurting. People are losing their jobs, Uh, loved ones. They've had loved ones who have died. Uh, People are under stress, anxiety, uncertainty, and we're dealing with a lot of anger in the world today, and people that are just really stressed out, and people that are looking for hope. Well, I want you to know that this program is really aimed at people that are suffering from like stress, anxiety, depression, mental health issues, and spiritual issues. And so on this program, you're going to hear me talk about different, what I would say, important issues. But then we're going to have special guests share their stories of faith, in life and healing and how they overcame obstacles so i'm hoping that this will be a really encouragement to you and today i just wanted to come on tonight and just introduce myself to you who i am where i'm from and kind of my life a little bit give you my life story and i grew up in a little town called diamond springs maybe many of you never didn't know where that was but maybe some of you do because it's not too far from Holland. I grew up on a farm. My dad raised feeder pigs. We had a 40 acre farm. And he also worked at the Hamilton Farm Borough. And he drove bok feed truck. He also worked for a ready mix company there in Hamilton for a number of years. So he was a hardworking farmer. And I remember growing up, the thing that my dad would worry about, and we often would worry about, we had a, a farm and there was a lot of sand. And so when we would uh, plant corn. He would be worried about if, if we'd get enough rain to meet the crops because the crops were very important to my dad because it really the farm needed to be a success because we didn't have a lot of money. Even though I didn't know it, we didn't have a lot of money, and but we always had food to eat, food on the table. We never went without, and so I'm so grateful for my my dad, a mom that were very hard workers, and so. You know, I never thought when I was growing up that I would be called into the ministry or that I would go to be a pastor. I never thought that would happen. Because to be totally honest with you, growing up, I had a lot of insecurities, dealt with a lot of rejection, even bullying in the high school. I mean, uh, I never saw myself as one that would speak in front of people, have a radio show, uh, be the head of a healing ministry eventually. I never I never saw that coming. So in fact, you know, I accepted the Lord when I was a little boy about age seven, see, and uh, I grew up in a home and I had a grandma and she was very influential in my life and grandma was constantly praying for me day and night. And so grandma was a big influence. So in my younger years, I was living for God, serving for God, and yet very insecure. You know, I was that boy at church that bugged you all the time because I talked too much or I was at the the door handing out bulletins to people coming in. Now, that probably shows my age because you don't have people handing out bulletins at the church door today. You know, Nowadays, you hardly ever get a bulletin when you go in church. And so I was that kid greeting people, talking to people, wanting to be with people. I was that type of kid. So it wasn't until I got about the age of 19 years old that I decided to run from God because I really felt that God had the wrong person. I was not the person to go into the ministry. Good grief. I mean, insecure, didn't do well in high school, never thought I'd ever survive college. And so when I was a young boy, I really felt like going into the ministry or doing something for God would be fun because I did five trips to South Dakota, to Brainerd Indian School, to do vacations with a purpose and to help the missionaries that were ministering to the Lakota tribe in South Dakota in the middle of the Black Hills. And I really enjoyed that. In fact, at about age of 18, I quit my job and I went out and I lived at Brainerd Indian School with the Indians for three months to help the missionaries and to be with them. And, um, and uh, that was just a very impactful time because I saw a different side of Christianity. I met Daryl New Plenty Stars, who would eventually become like my Indian dad because I helped him so much. He made me a part of his family, and he really taught me about my authority in Christ and not to be afraid of demonic spirits and stuff like that. So spent time with the Indians, and then later on, at age 19, after a skiing accident back on the farm where I was laid up, for like three months, I couldn't do much. I decided that I would run from God, that I did not want to do what God was calling me to do because I thought God had the wrong person. I didn't think that I could really do it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I ran from God and I uh, tried to get away from him. But the only problem is I had a grandma who was praying for me. She had a rocking chair and she had a big Bible and she knew how to use it. And she would pray and rock and pray and rock and pray and rock. And, and I'd never get away with a single thing. Grandma would always be there to talk to me, to try to get me to come back to God. And one day I remember I went into a Hastings camp meeting where we would go for family camp every year. And uh, Grandma always attended. And Mom always brought us to the Wesleyan campgrounds. And I remember one One service, Grandma was sitting up near the front, and there was a lot of people in church that day. And uh, Grandma was a little hard of hearing, and I was sitting not too far in back of her, and during the altar call, she turned around, and her eyes hit mine, and I knew I was in trouble. She walked up that aisle, grabbed me by the arm, yelling out, don't you want to get saved? Don't you want to get saved? I was so embarrassed as grandma drug me to the altar, made me kneel and was praying over me and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? What I learned from that when I was all done, the next time I would come into church, I sat a long ways away from grandma so she couldn't get a hold of me. you know, And it wasn't until 1985 that I actually rededicated my heart to the Lord and I told Jesus, I will go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say, but I only have one condition. I want what I see in the book of Acts. I don't, that's the type of Christianity that I want to see. So after I had prayed and rededicated my life to the Lord at the altar, it was at a Hastings camp meeting once again. But this time, it was my choice to come back to God. I said, well, the Lord, if you want me to go into the ministry, you've got to sell my car. I had a nice blue Berlinetta Camaro, and I said, you've got to sell it without me advertising it. And I know how much money I want for it. So one day, I was in a restaurant in Hamilton, and a young lady walked up to me, and she says, oh, by the way, I like your car. I want to buy it. And when I told her the price I wanted for the car, she bought it. No questions asked. Now I was down to an old beater. The fenders flapped in the wind when I would drive it, an old Chevy Impala. And now the only thing left is I didn't have money for college. What would I do What would I do for money for college? And so one day I was in church and this really tall man come up to talk to me. And he said, hello, Gail, my name is Jim. And he said, um... I heard that you don't have money for college. Nice, I said, yeah. And he goes, would you like to come over to my house and talk with me and my wife? And I said, sure. And so at that time, he lived at Sunset Bluffs, and I took my old fender-flapping <laughs> um, uh, Impala, and I was driving up to Sunset Bluffs to this car. The only problem was I wanted to see where I could hide it. He lived in a really nice neighborhood, and I had a really junky car. It's kind of funny. So I drove up and uh, told them my testimony, what what I wanted to do for the Lord, and they listened, and they invited me to come back for two weeks, and I came back two weeks later, and they had made a decision that if I would work during the summer, they would help pay for my Bible college. Well, I was stunned because they were willing to write out a check take care of the costs, And I remember saying to Jim, what what if I fail? What if I don't make it? What if I go up there and totally flunk out? He said, well, I didn't give the money to you. I gave the money to God. And so I remember boarding a bus for Canada. That's where I was going to Bible college and thinking, God, are you really sure you got the right guy here? I mean, what if I get up there and fail and crash and burn, you know, and don't do well and, But I did well in school and I went to Bible college and I I got a degree in religion and uh, was up there in Bible college for four years working in Canada. I started a new youth group in Canada with kids that were coming to the park to play soccer. I had a great time in Bible college and actually graduated with over a 3.0 grade point average, which was good for me, seeing that I barely got a C average in high school so I did really well in college, and then um, yeah, I took I took a church, my first church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, at a Wesleyan church. Um, and the interesting dynamic in all of this, and being in the Wesleyan church, is in uh, 1984 I had visited a charismatic Mennonite church in Goshen, Indiana, called Communion Mennonite, where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then went to to Wesleyan College, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and believing in the gifts of the Spirit and different things like that, and uh, and was going through college and then went out to be a pastor. Uh, it was my first church. I was the pastor of evangelism and discipleship, and uh, just a little ways into the time being at that church, my senior pastor decided to resign. I was just newly married, and he resigned, which means we all needed to resign. And we went out to pastor our first church in Battle Creek. It was a Wesleyan church at that time. And I was pastoring in the Wesleyan church and then pastored in the Assemblies of God. And then after a while, I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I want something more than being a pastor. I'm kind of bored at being a pastor of the same 40 people day in, day out, and no, all Nothing wrong with pastoring 40 people day in and day out, but I wanted something more. And then I remember I was at uh, Borges Hospital walking down the hallway in Kalamazoo and felt the Lord say to me, go in the chaplain's office and ask for a job. So I went in and I spoke to the head of pastoral care at that time, it was a nun, and she took me back to her office and had a three-hour conversation with me. And at the end of our conversation which was actually a very good conversation. Uh, She said, go to HR department and tell them that I've hired you, that I'm gonna bring you on staff. You'll have two second shifts a week and you'll carry a pager and you just go wherever your pager tells you to go. So I didn't get a lot of like advanced training for this job. And so I remember on my first shift, she gave me my pager and she said, now, 8th floor to cardio, 7th floor is neuro, 6th floor is babies, 3rd floor is cancer, 1st floor is psychiatrics. Now, there probably will never be nothing go wrong tonight. You'll probably have an easy night. Just um, good luck tonight. And then she left. She's no more than 5 minutes out of the building, and my pager goes, Code zero, eighth floor. Now, that means there is a life-threatening situation. Someone is in a critical state between life and death. And my job was to go to the eighth floor and help the family. So I get to the eighth floor, introduce myself to the family. I'm in that room maybe six, seven minutes and my pager goes off again. There is another code, but this time it's on the seventh floor ICU. So I go down to the seventh floor and I help that family and I get about six, seven minutes into that and my pager goes off again. It's a third code and this time it's on the sixth floor and I thought, oh no, sixth floor is babies. So I spent the next four hours running between three codes helping three families and never had done that in my whole life and I began to realize how much I didn't know about ministry and about ministering in critical situation. But it was only by the grace of God that I got through that situation. I call that situation trial by fire. <laughs> Not a lot of training in it, but uh, really would work for the next 18 years. I would work between three hospitals, and I'm going to tell you the story of a a healing that I saw in one of the hospitals. There was a, and I'm allowed to share this this story. There was a man many years ago, who was in the uh, fifth floor ICU. He had had uh, heart issues. They said he would never recover. Now there's there's two healing stories in relation to this. And so um, I went in uh, to see the family. They were a great Catholic family, big family. And uh, the daughter, Karen, I came in and I introduced myself and they don't mind me telling their story. And I said, uh, so what's wrong with your dad? And she goes, well, they said he'll never get off the ventilator. He doesn't really have much of a heart left anymore. And I said, "Are you a Catholic family?" And she goes, "Yeah, we're a Catholic family." I said, "Hey, um, I got some anointing oil. No, I'm not Catholic. Do you mind if a protest me a Protestant anoint your father and pray over him for healing?" And she said, uh, "No, I uh, don't. I don't mind that at all." So. Um, I got out my oil and I anointed him and the sign of the cross on the head. And I don't know why I did it differently this time. I stuck my hand out because his chest was bare and I laid my hand in the center of his chest and the daughter decided to do the same thing right on top of my hand. And when we were praying, she exclaimed, do you feel the heat? Do you feel the heat coming out of your hand into my dad? And we began to pray. And then over the next couple weeks, something miraculous began to happen he began to recover. He got off the vent. All this stuff was going on. It was amazing. He totally began to recover. Then one day, I walked up to the fifth floor. It was in the waiting room. And the bit, the family was all there in a big circle. And I sat down in that chair. I said, how's everybody today? And Karen looked at her daughter and said, uh, uh, Shannon, sit in front of Gail. And I I go, okay. She goes, lay your hands on my daughter and pray. And I'm like, um, all right. Uh, I didn't know if her daughter was sick or what was going on. So I had, and so she sat right down by me. So I put my hand on one of her shoulders and, and I just commenced the talking because God had shown me a long time ago. When you pray for people, it's not about you. All you are is a conduit. So as I began to talk to people, I had my hand there. Uh, her daughter began to say, oh man, there's a lot of heat in my chest. She began to feel the heat and the presence of God, and it got stronger, and it got stronger, and it got stronger. And all the people was witnessing that something major was going on on with this young lady as we were sitting there. And all of a sudden, um, one of the people in the group said, look at her hands. And I said, well, was there something wrong with her hands? And they said, well, she has Reynolds disease and lupus. Her hands are, are normally ice cold, and her hands were like pink, like really warm and hot, and then they said, I wonder about her, her feet, and I thought, is there something wrong with her feet? They go, take her shoes off, and I thought, what? And because by this time, she couldn't even move. She said the she could talk to me and it said the presence was so strong that she was feeling she could not even move, and they removed her shoes and found out that her feet that were once black were now as pink, as a baby's butt. And they were completely warm and hot. Circulation was restored. And this young lady to this day is healed of renault and lupus disease. She made a full recovery. Her dad got out of the hospital, the one they said that would never get off the ventilator, would never live. He got out of the hospital and he lived another three months before he died. And then people would say, well, that wasn't a healing. He died three months later. But you know what the family said? The family said to me, we want to thank you for your prayer because we had our father three months more than they told us we would have. And they were grateful for that. And so we had a, they actually asked me to do his funeral. So he just took, he made a total recovery uh, she got totally healed of lupus and Renault, renault's disease and it was amazing that one miracle those two miracles caused people to drive for about a five-year period from Detroit for prayer and anointing with oil I remember one lady come in because the the nun said I could pray for people as long as I didn't take any money and one grandma come in and she had a flower in her hand for me and she goes well will you take a flower I said, sure, I'll take a flower. I said, what's wrong? She says, I've got to see that brace on my knee. My knee is all swollen up. I got this brace on my knee and and, and it's awful. And so I said, sure, come on over here. So she's standing by me and I said, in the name of Jesus, and my hand touched her knee and the brace fell off. She goes, thank you, have a great day. And she walked out. I was totally amazed, totally amazed because her knee, on the spot, was totally recovered and whole. And I over the years, I, re, I remember even in my first church, in the Wesleyan Church in, in Battle Creek, in my first church, there was a young man who was hit by a garbage truck. He was in intensive care, not expected to live. And uh, he was unconscious, and he had been that way for a little while. And I went in and prayed for him, and I've only done this once in my entire life. I told his mom, I feel led to pray, at at a certain point, I'm going to be praying in a language you don't understand. But at a certain point, I'm just going to going to ask him to wake up. And so we went in. The nurse doing dialysis was there. He was unconscious. We began to pray, and at a certain point, I said, uh, "I don't remember what his name was. We'll call him Billy." I said, "Billy, wake up in the name of Jesus." He snapped his eyes open. Re- reached out his hand to me. I said, do you know the Lord? And he said, no. And he prayed with me, received Christ, and he went back out. He fell, he went back unconscious. But then the next day, he totally woke up. And so he just totally recovered. So my, my life through the years have all about been seeing other people healed, not just physically, but but spiritually speaking, in the area of the soul, the healing of the soul wounds. And that's what I do now as executive director of spiritual care consultants, we have a team, and we work with people, and we help people, and it's at no cost, and we we help them find healing and freedom in the name of Jesus, and so we've seen many people transformed over the years from spiritual issues that were impacting their physical wellness, and my partner is actually a a doctor, Dr. Troy Carlson from Family Tree Medical in Hastings. And so, if you're hearing this program, the thing I want you to know tonight is there's hope. There's hope, there's healing, and there's freedom in Christ. And don't throw Christianity away just because maybe you've had a bad experience or something hasn't gone well for you. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he wants to have that personal relationship with you. I hope that you will tune into this program whenever it's on and listen because I'm hoping to bring forth people to interview and talk about subjects that I feel will be very helpful for you. So I want to say God bless you. I want to thank you for listening to Healing Begins. My prayer for you is simply this. I pray that God's peace and presence would be with you wherever you go. God bless you and have a good night.